Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Hey everybody, welcome to the Better Pleasure Podcast. My name's Bo. I'm Peter. And this is episode number, I'm going to make sure I know which one it is. It's episode 125. That's nice. where we're at, 125. And we are going to talk a little bit about uh, abortion today. And it's kind of a hot button topic again. Yeah. And there's there's been a lot of grievous videos that have yeah. come out lately. Um, we had a person call uh, the office here the other day and they said, hey, did you see the big sign that's downtown? And I was like, no. And they're like, man, there's this huge sign downtown. It says like, you know, abortion now. Um, and it's like huge. And, and I was like, whoa, okay, I, I didn't know. I was I wonder if the mayor, like, allowed that or what, or someone just, like... I'm sure she's cool with it. Put up a big old <laughs> based, picture. Yeah, based on our, our mayor, I would say she's definitely cool with it, if not uh, behind it. Yeah, so anyway, and then they said, yeah, and on, on one of the streets, kind of close to downtown, there's this vending machine-looking thing that is, like, you know, kind of an abortion now pill uh, kind of center. And women were out there, like, getting their pictures taken with it, like, yeah, you know, the kind of thing. And it grieved this person, and it happened to be a male yeah. who was calling and saying, man, I was really grieved to yeah. see those ladies, you know, kind of, like, cheering it on. And there's this clip um, uh, on the Instagram by this Benny Johnson, and it says, these are, quote, normal people, and you have these women and they're they're chanting. It says, "We are taking abortion pills forever." That's the banner, you know, behind them. And and then they're just kind of, you know, doing their chants, you know, abortion pill. This is this is them chanting. Yeah, right and then they're yeah. they're taking the pills. Jeez. You know, and so, you know, they're popping the pills and they're laughing and they're joking, and it's like it's like a funny thing. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the guy who called, of course, was real grievous and, you know, and of course there's, 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 it's hard to watch some of this stuff, you know, um, especially when you see it. So, um, people so jokingly going about it, you know, and, and then I watched with my wife today, this really cool, um, kind of, uh, it's some council, and uh, let me see if I can find it. Um, uh, some the person who put it on put it on Instagram was Yvette Bronx, and um, I'm not sure exactly what context this this um, delegation's taking place, but it's really cool. I'm going to turn it up so people can hear it, and uh, and then I'd like to get your reaction to this a little bit, and then we'll talk about your thoughts. Yeah. I'm the co-executive director of Florida Access Network. Okay. Well, our, our hearing outlines it. So the Action Network strongly supports legalized abortion, right? Correct. And help me understand the position of your organization. Uh, these are simple yes or no questions. Is it okay to murder a 10-year-old child? No one should be forced to remain pregnant if they don't want to. Is it okay to murder a 10-year-old child? Yes or no? I am deeply offended that you would call me a murderer. I'm not calling you a murderer, ma'am. I'm asking you a question. Is it okay to murder a 10-year-old child? This is about your organization's position. Would they say yes or no? My organization's position is that no one should be forced to remain pregnant if they don't want to. And any re abortion restrictions are... Okay, okay. Let me, let, me, uh, let me answer the question for you. I'm assuming that you do not advocate for the murder of children. What about a toddler? I assume you would say it's not okay to murder a, a toddler either, a two-year-old. What about a newborn? Let me ask you this. The position of the organization, are you for partial birth abortion? Is that the position of the organization? Would you support that? What my organization is for is to support the people who need abortion care who are lied to when they are sent to okay, alleged if, pregnancy resource does, would centers that, excuse that me just lie a second, just to a second. patients would that and tell to, them... Would that apply to a woman who is nine months pregnant? I disagree with the premise of your question. Do you Would you support the abortion of a late-term, 
unborn child? Anybody should have should be, have the right to have an abortion at any time Anytime. for any okay. reason. That's what I need. So here's the thing. I'm just trying to understand the logical fallacy. So if we would not support, and I'm, I mean this sincerely, and this is not for you personally. I'm talking about the organization. You support an advocacy organization. If it, if it is not okay to take the life of a small child outside the womb, why is it okay to take the life of a small child nine months, nine inches up the birth canal inside the womb? What is the distinction? Help me understand the, the distinction of that. I don't understand the question. If it, you, you would not support the murder of a small child, right? No one would, no civilized person would. Why do we support the taking of a life of a child right before they're delivered? No civilized person should support forced pregnancy. Does abortion take the life of something that's alive? No one should be forced to remain pregnant against their will. Ma'am, you're not answering my questions. Let me, let me ask the doctor uh, on this screen. Um, is it okay, uh, or let me ask you this, does abortion kill something that's alive, take the life of something that's alive? Sir, the way that you're asking these questions actually intentionally invite violence and harassment to both of us, to all of us. I'm sorry, that is an absurd response. You're a medical doctor. Tell me if the, the tell me if the, the if there's an unborn child in the womb or not, if are we killing something that's alive? When you when you dismember something in the womb, is that a human being or not? It's a living being, yes or no? I'm here to talk about medical care. Yes, this is a direct question about medical. Yeah, interesting. So I thought it was interesting, not only the head of the organization or the speaker for the organization, the way she answers it, because it's very much reminding me of just college activism. Right. And, and it's funny how even when they talk to the doctor, that sounds very much like it, too. Right. Right. They refuse to answer the question. Yeah. It's, it's very much, uh, uh, again, a college y university um in indoctrination it feels like it feels like they just got spit out of the <laughs> the uh, the farm of university you know stuff right and know? this is this is like a classic you know it's not just someone who's an activist but it's it's like a political question so if you ever listen to politicians answer questions yeah. if they know that the answer is bad like whatever answer that they have if they know it's a bad answer you'll see them avoid the question. And usually what they'll do is they'll answer a different question yeah. um, or they'll answer it in a way that doesn't actually address the issue that's being brought yeah, up. Yeah, and this one's just so blatant, though. It's just right. so like, you know, just not even, they can, you know, it's just interesting that human beings can't even answer a question. Right. And yet they're supposed to be experts on the subject. So, um, yeah, it's it's a really crazy and, and serious thing. So... This kind of gets into how we develop morality as, as human beings. And there, there's a principle in morality that uh, Aquinas, Thomas Aquinas, a Christian philosopher, he made, really, uh, he made it really prominent. It's called the law of double effect. And that's the idea of if I want to do a moral action, and that moral action necessitates an evil action, but the moral action is greater than the evil it's going to impose, I should still do that moral action. So uh, a good example of this would be if someone came into the office right now trying to kill all of us um, and I shot this person or killed them in order to stop them. So, so the intent of my act is to preserve the life of everyone here, but the effect of my act is the taking of that person's life. So when you hear them answering the question, they're answering it in the double effect format. I'm wanting to uh, not force someone to go through pregnancy. Right. So in other words, the moral act that they're trying to preserve is the woman's right not to have to bring the child to term. The effect of that desire is the killing of the child. So there are very few women out there who the desire of the abortion is to kill the child. In other words, there are very few sadistic, malicious women out there who are like, I want to just kill this child. Right. Now, they exist, right? There are legitimate murderous people out there who do delight in the taking of human life, especially precious and innocent human life. But they're very rare. You're not going to run into those people very often. So the reason why the majority of people are able to square this in their own mind 
is because they say, well, I'm, I'm not intending to kill the child. I'm intending to live a life free of the child. Yeah, and 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 in in a way, all of us do this, right? Right. All of us use this kind of morality all the time, right? You know, I justify this action and kind of set aside this other uh, negative thing that I'm going to have to do in order to fulfill this other thing that I don't want to happen, right? You know, so that that in a sense happens all the time. Um, it's just interesting that we can't, as humans, that we can't. What I find fascinating about these uh, dialogues is is just that humans can't seem to just say what it is. Right. You know, we can't just we can't just seem to say yes. Right. And yeah, yeah, we are taking a life. Right. Where what he's trying to get at, and this is important when it comes to setting up morality, like you said, we don't want to think about it because we want to justify our negative behavior. What he's getting at is he's really trying to do the work of this kind of double effect, because in order to do it, you have to establish that whatever the intent is actually outweighs the effect. And so a woman's ability, which is a good intent, I would say, a woman doesn't want to be pregnant. She doesn't want to have to go through that with her body and to incur the penalties and the obligations necessary to that but the effect is the killing of a human life and no amount of liberty for one person can outweigh the loss of life of another person so this is a really interesting thing and and the way that i've heard it worded to try to justify even this so some people are willing to like really push this on the pro-choice side And one of the arguments that I heard this week was uh, someone said, well, you know, let's say you're driving down the road and you accidentally run into another person and they something happens with their kidneys as a result of the accident. They, They can't live as a result of damage to their kidneys. And you happen to be a match for their kidneys as a donor. Do you now have the moral obligation to give that person one of your kidneys? And the answer of the pro-choice person was like, no way, you don't have to give away one of your kidneys. That's not right. That's not fair. You know, obviously, uh, that that person is not entitled to one of your kidneys. It's not entitled to the damage it's going to cause your body. So why are you giving the fetus more rights than the person that you would hit with a car? Uh, there's obviously several problems with that analogy. The first one is, is that it would definitely change the way that we looked at the problem if you were the only person that could save that person's life and the accident was indeed your fault. So if I was being negligent on the road and I hit somebody and for some weird reason, medical science could not keep that person alive and it was literally dependent on me and my ability to give up one of my kidneys, I would still be alive. I would just be lacking one kidney. I would say, yeah, you do have a moral obligation to give that person your kidney. And if you expand it one more and say, well, what if that person was related to you? Let's say they were your daughter or your son. Would you have a moral obligation to do it? And again, most people would say absolutely. So, and giving up your kidney, by the way, is far more damaging to your body than going through pregnancy, right? So there's there's many problems with the analogy, yeah. but they're, they're getting at the point of like, I shouldn't have to give this thing up to preserve the life of somebody else. And the answer is, yes, you should, right? A, because it was your intentional action, right? You had sex. And sex has an effect of making you pregnant. And unless you were raped, which is a very small amount of cases. But for the vast majority of people, it was an intentional act that put you in this position that created this life. It is your child, right? That life is related to you. You are their mother. And you do have certain moral incumbent obligations and responsibilities to that child as a result. So uh, for those reasons, and yeah. And then going through pregnancy, while it does have effects on your body, they are reversible effects. They are effects that will go away. Yeah. So, so definitely, there's a morality shift in in the nation on what is really the highest moral, um, mor- morality to um, to hold to uphold. Right. Like for instance, like life would be the number one thing. Right. You know, like no matter what, murder's wrong. Right. You can't take the the life of someone. Right. You know. We have to somehow move away a little bit of from that in right. order to have this abortion right. thing go on, and that certainly has happened in the in the country. Um, 
And this this kind of leads into one of the main things I wanted to talk to you about regarding yeah. this issue. Yeah. And that is the uh, perspective of responsibility, especially from men. Yeah, and that's good because I just went over Genesis 25. And one of the talks this morning on the Devo was about just how wouldn't it have been cool if Genesis 25 was just this is the the, the Abraham had sex with Sarah and this is his offspring and this is the family line. But instead, it's there's another wife involved. There's a concub there's concubines. Right. There's. Uh, Hagar, you know, and, and and I just made a mention that, you know, our sexual, our, our intimacy sexually has effects, right? You know, it has effects. There's a lot of fathers that don't even know how many kids that they have brought into the world. I mean, there's many men that right. do not know their kids. Right. I have uh, a dad. Um, I have three dads, but I have one of them who didn't know he had a daughter until like two years ago. Hmm. Didn't even know he had a daughter. Yeah. Um, he already has a daughter that he knew of, but he didn't know he had another daughter. Right. And I think, you know, man, intimacy certainly does have an effect on lives. And then I thought about abortion too this morning with the Devo and uh, just how reckless we are. Right. You know, as human beings. Right. Um, boy and, and i think that that's a, a really important point to kind of get to so um a lot of people don't know this but the abolition movement uh within the united states as well as western europe the idea that we want to abolish the practice of slavery there were two factions within the abolition movement the first faction was we want to abolish all slavery right now the second was incrementalism. They were like, we want to abolish slavery eventually, and we want to work towards it, but there are things in the way, meaning if we abolish it right now, there will be side effects to the country that we're not ready to deal with yet. Uh, there are things that might happen to what happens to those slaves in an environment where they're uneducated, they're unprepared to take care of themselves, and they're in an environment that doesn't care about them and thinks of them as second-class citizens. Do we have the resources to support all of them? Do we have the ability and capacity to be able to be with them? And the response of the other abolitionists was, it doesn't matter what kind of consequences we incur. Slavery is wrong and it needs to end right now. And I think that there's a similar argument happening within the Christian church right now, uh, this, this idea of ending abortion, where some people would think abortion is such a grievous ill. It's so evil. It's so bad. We need to end it right now. And then there are certain people on the other side that are comfortable. Uh, they're kind of uncomfortable and comfortable at the same time where they hate abortion, but they see benefits to incrementally shutting it down as opposed to ending it right now. And one of the main reasons why they would say that is, A, because the society at large right now, I think 54% of Americans actually think that abortion should be legal. When you have that many people who think of uh, abortion as a good, the majority, the bulk majority of Americans think of it as a good, then if you shut it down completely across the country, there will be side effects. There will be uh, incredible amounts of tension, rioting, and pain that's going to happen, as well as back alley abortions. The second problem is the problem of responsibility. When you have a society that's as irresponsible sexually as ours, shutting down abortion wouldn't actually take away from our irresponsibility. It will have an eventual effect of that, meaning as people get pregnant and they have kids unintentionally, eventually they'll get to the place where they're like, oh, we need to actually take care of these kids. But in the meantime, when our society culture is catching up, you're going to have a lot of children born and there's not going to be enough social safety nets to be able to lift them up, meaning that some parents are going to be having their kids. They're going to resent their children as a result. They're going to try to take care of them, and eventually they're going to raise them in really unfortunate homes. Now, again, as a Christian, I would say it's better for that kid to live in a bad home than to be killed. But at the same token, we have to address these social issues. So regardless of where you are in that spectrum, if you're like, I want it to happen incrementally, or if I want, to happen, have, I want it to happen right now, you do have to address the idea of the society that we live in yeah, and the problems of... Which is so cool, because and this is why I love our podcast, because, man, <laughs> we touch on so many different cool things. and and uh, But this is it. 
if you're gonna you know you know how you know how we get to Huxley's brave new world right is through these avenues like say for instance you do have this stance and you go okay let's stop abortion right now we're gonna stop it right now because the morality within the country is not a quote Christian morality they're not thinking in the Christian world view right that when you stop it it it, it creates other other domino effects right that that will will no doubt be negative because it's not that everybody's got this worldview biblically thinking right like they're not thinking like oh let me control my sex thing let me you know and, and, and let me control my sex life let me um you know okay i'm not going to have sex with people anymore i'm um you know i'm you know uh, i'm going to um you know just really be disciplined right. you know with my sexuality because that's what i think about sex i think sex should be very much monogamous marriage that's not how the that's not how our world looks at it right. uh, at the whole you know our society in the whole um and so um the point being is that i could see that when people in the right intention want to stop abortion now because the society is not one with a Christian worldview hmm. it pushes again and this is what happens it, it forces government to have to regulate issues things right because people aren't they're not it, there's nothing really regulating them in their own heart Right. You know, there's no God. There's no. They're not trying to obey God or anything like that. They push God away. They're right. they're their own autonomy, that kind of thing. You know, their own autonomous kind of world. And you know, to me, it's like you think of, hey, you know, like the answer. Like you could say, hey, the answer is this. You know, let's not have sex with people anymore. Right. You know, let's like get robots. That's right. Yeah. You know, what's the problem? Let's get robots. Yeah. Just masturbate, man. There's plenty of pornography out there. Right. You know, just masturbate away and you'll be fine. And we won't have abortion at all. Now, of course, that that doesn't address other issues. You get my point is, you know, in a in a non-Christian worldview, then you're just creating another problem in a sense, down the road. Right. You know, you might get rid of this, but then again, then you have that. Right. Um, and, and, and is that really, um, the way to go? Right. Um, it, but it, it pushes human beings to have to, um, you know, in directions where it seems like humans need government. They need some kind of overseeing thing, um, that if, if God's not, not going to be that, it's going to be something else. Right. So, you know, John Adams, who was our mm -hmm. second president and one of our founding fathers, he made a comment that our system of government, the system of self-government, only works for a religious, uh, religious and wise people. So in other words, what he's saying is unless someone is being governed by some sort of objective law outside of them, namely God, they can be self-governed. But if they don't have that, they need a strong government to rein in their base desires. Uh, and there was a philosopher named Thomas Hobbes who had that idea. He wrote a book called Leviathan. <laughs> we had this idea that the only way that he's like, humanity is so wicked that we're so jacked up that the only way to rein us in is if we had this, you know, the reason why I call it Leviathan is, is to have this despotic ruler, this monarch who could rein in our evil, basically. Uh, so when you look at America, the function of government, the reason why government is praised a lot of times throughout the uh, the scriptures is because of the wickedness of man. You have to remember when God set up his nation of Israel, he didn't really give it a government. Uh, he gave it like some local judges, but there was no king. There was no uh, centralized government. It was just kind of the local community governing itself. It, was, it wasn't exactly an anarchy, but it was pretty dang close. And if you've ever read the book of Judges, didn't go too well right? that 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 form of society was not very functional because people need something harder than that they need something to rein in their base desires or else they do whatever they want and so i think we're seeing that a lot as a country right now where we have a system that was literally built for people to be self-governed because they have something higher than the government that is motivating them to work on their virtuous character 
But once you get rid of that, which we've done, now we're looking at our society and we're like, oh my gosh, maybe the government does need to be more powerful <laughs> because people are going a little crazy here. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's most interesting about this to me, and you and I talk about this often, where a lot of times people frame abortion as a woman's issue. And it's a woman's issue in the sense that obviously being pregnant is going to affect the woman's body more than it's going to affect the man. But a woman doesn't get pregnant without the man, right? The man has to get her pregnant. And because of what God has called men to do, it is more of the fault of the men, meaning it's more of a men's issue than it is a woman's issue. Yeah, you don't have artificial inseminated uh, females. Right. It's not like a brave new world. (laughs) Usually at the abortion clinic. Right. Right, who right. like you know had an egg donor, you know, like, like man, yeah. What would what did I do? What you know? did I do? You know, usually don't probably have that. Usually there's a dude, and usually the dude doesn't even go to Planned Parenthood with the woman. But listen to these statistics. I think this is interesting. So, yeah, abortions aside, okay, there's a huge amount of women that obviously are not married that are having abortions. But listen to this: fifty-seven point six percent of all black children don't have a father, at all biological or step 31 percent of hispanic children don't have a father 20 percent of white children are living absent of their biological father wow so that's pretty intense right that those are pretty intense numbers yeah so if you combined all the numbers you're still up to around a 30 percent right so one third of the country doesn't Doesn't have have a a dad doesn't have a dad and it's it's interesting because, you know, my dad used to talk to me about that because, you know, he grew up without a dad, but he grew up in the in the 50s where that was more rare. And back in the 50s, he said, you know, and this is true, they had a really derogatory word for people that didn't have a dad. They called them bastards. And you don't really hear that term thrown around too much because that term is only offensive if the majority of people do have dads. But now it's like almost turning a little bit in the black population the majority of people do not have dads. And even in the the Hispanic and the white population, it evens out to, like you said, almost like a third do not have fathers in the home. So that's pretty radical. And even the people who do have fathers in the home, how many of them are really present in their lives, really active in their child's lives and trying to be there and to be a good father figure for them? Yeah. Wow, that's that's so powerful because you think of... um, Again, the responsibility sexually that we have right, and the consequences is what we're seeing, just the result of our sexuality gone wild. Right. You know, and um, and again, it's not it, it, it's not so much the pornography. Right. It's the the just the daily acts of people hooking up. Right. And getting together. Right. And um, and, and think about this line from the Bible. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not everything is edifying. Right. So in other words, if you really were dealing with a truly virtuous nation, there would not need to be a law, right? There would not need to be a law that says you shouldn't kill your unborn children. Yeah, law, law, you always have to ask the question is why is there laws in the first place? Right. And it's always predicated, your answer is always going to be predicated on what you believe about human beings. Right. You know, Right. Right. If you believe human beings are righteous people that will do the right thing, you will say, oh, they probably don't need any law. Right. Because they are righteous, you know, and that's what Paul's getting at in his writing. That now I'm I'm, I'm under Christ. I'm under his law. I don't need any outside law to govern me. I got plenty of Christ in my life. (laughs) Right. You know, but. If, if you have an idea that no humans are uh, uh, innately evil and that we are by birth sinners right. and bent towards destruction, then you will see a real important need for law. Right. 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 And so you'll, you'll kind of look at the law and you'll go, hey, this is important that we have these laws in here because we need to restrain, you know, the evil. Yeah. But then the question comes is like, if you don't have a, um, a, 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 a synopsis uh, uh, understanding of what evil is. Right. Then you know you have you have this. You right. know you have a woman saying at the beginning of what we what we uh, played. You have a woman saying, "Well, 
you know, what I find evil is you restricting the woman from having an abortion. Right. You know, so she doesn't see so much having the abortion as being the greater evil. Right. Uh, to, to look at Thomas Aquinas's morality. Right. You know, that idea of the, the double, um, what's it called? The double, um, double effect. Double effect. But, um, you know, she sees that like hindering someone the right to do what they want with their unborn child. Right. So the idea is the real evil would be you asking me to take responsibility and sacrifice for another. Right. That's the real evil. Um, now, Now, listen to this. And again, it's not just the women. So the women think that way, too. But even though the men aren't out there. The men are, this are is how lazy the men are. Yeah, right? They won't they're, even. They're somewhere. <laughs> yeah, they're so lazy <laughs> that they want this more than the women do, but they're not even willing to go out there and march. They're not even willing to go out and take responsibility and ownership for their lack of responsibility in their unborn children's lives. Isn't that weird? It's so it's crazy. It's kind of odd yeah. if you think about it. Like, why isn't the men of the, the woman... Uh, the female that had the abortion. Right. Why aren't they at the at the parade? Right. They should be. Yeah. They should be shouting it because they should be like, man, I'm off the hook, you know? Yeah. L- listen to this, though. So these in, are even more interesting. In a real stats. sick way, there's a reverse kind of uh, diss on females right. here. Right. In a real sinister way, isn't there? Yeah. There's this real diss, almost like women, uh, females are thinking that they're getting up right. by getting the abortion. It almost has an, a, a feel right. that they're the ones that, again, are getting the short end of the stick. They are. You know? And the men, the male, once again, right. wins. Right. The patriarchy. The patriarchy wins it again. Who decided Roe versus Wade? The patriarchy, yeah. Bunch of men. Yeah, and and the more women go, I want abortion, you know, abortion rights, abortion rights, it it still seems like it it gets the men off the hook. Right. You know, and the men go, yes, we we can do what we want to do. And, you know, there's the the female going uh, to the... Uh, to the you know activism rally right. you know putting her life on online you know you know you you see it all right and it, you kind of get this idea that there's this invisible the more they do it the patriarchy just grows and grows and grows right it's kind of a weird sinister thought yeah right and you and i talk about this as well where there's actually two types of bad leaders the first type of bad leader is the one that most people think about, the authoritarian, the person who's going to force you to do whatever they want. But the second type of bad leader is the apathetic one. And there's a lot of those throughout history, the guys, who, the kings who just couldn't care less about their people. And they use all their power and authority just to ingratiate themselves, right? They build big old palaces for themselves and they eat a bunch of rich food and they couldn't care less about what's happening to the people underneath their rule. The men in our society, the patriarchy today, it's the latter. <laughs> it, that's the patriarchy. It's not the authoritarian. It's the I couldn't care less. That's the patriarchy today. But it's no less effective. Now, listen to some of these effects. Children who grow up in houses without fathers, specifically fathers, they're four times greater to live lives in intense poverty. They're seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager. They are more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect. They're two times, uh, I'm sorry, they have two times greater risk of dying as an infant. They have a far greater likelihood of uh, giving into drug and alcohol abuse. They're more likely to go to prison. They're two times more likely to suffer obesity. They're far more likely to commit crime than their peers. Two times more likely to drop out of high school, right? So that's the effect of the fathers, the men saying like, meh, you know, I don't really want to be a part of this. You know, I'm going to get my girl pregnant. And, you know, if she doesn't have an abortion, maybe I'll send her money if the state makes me. But otherwise, I'm just not going to be present. You know, I'm not going to do anything. And that is like really tragic. And one of the main reasons why I was I was really wanting to talk to you about this is because you have a very unique story to a lot of people Mm -hmm. where I had a dad and his dad abandoned him and just wasn't in his life. And then obviously my dad was in my life and was a very good father throughout my entire life. But you have a very unique story where you had a dad who was both. 
you had the negligent father for some of your life, Mm -hmm. but then you had the present father for some of your life. That's right. So you have a very unique perspective to see what it's like to be with and without a father. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I was very fortunate to have, you know, uh, someone always present. Right. Um, you know, and at times not so present, you know, um, if you get my drift just with the alcoholism and the, the, the violence and the, all that. But, um, no, I, I think, I think there's a lot of things, me and my brother both, and we both have interesting stories cause I ended up, uh, leaving my mother and my brother, you know, at a young age and, and, um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and I, I think I, I, I I really, you know, saw a lot of hate in my heart towards my dad um, early on um, in my life. I just was disgusted by him. Um, And I was disgusted by my family. I was disgusted by what I saw. Um, And there was a lot of hatred there. And I, you know, as a young person, I didn't know how to deal with it. So I dealt with it like with many young people did. And that is just to go find people that look at everything and say, forget it. And we're just going to, you know, do drugs and, and, you know, give everybody the middle finger, right. you know, kind of attitude. Um, and, and I don't know if that's so much the way, you know, I think that's how we dealt with a lot of our depression mm-hmm. and a lot of our, our anxiety um, back then is we, you know, we didn't have internet. We didn't get on like internet tribal communities. Right. You know, we had to find people uh, in our elementary school who really had that kind of attitude as well. And, you know, it was easy to find them for me because they kind of had the same attitudes as me and um, and that kind of thing. And, and um, you know, uh, and, and I wonder how they process this today, like how, you know, young men process it today, mm-hmm. you know, not having a dad um, and what that's like. But, you know... Then later on in my life, my teenage years, having a dad, uh, you know, in my uh, starting to really get a uh, a solid footing with a father figure from like, you know, 14 on really laying some good foundations. Man, it was amazing how, uh, gosh, that was uh, so awesome and amazing and stabilitating as I had to go through all the weird stuff that I was involved in um, because of trying to deal with everything that I went up, grew up with. Mm. Um, so I could certainly see where having a dad who's present, who loves you, who's affirming in the sense that not that he's affirming of everything you do, right. but he's affirming of who you are in your position in the family. Right. You know, so let me get that straight. <laughs> um yeah, my dad. My dad wasn't the guy who said, "Hey, I, I just love you, no matter. I, I, you know, you can do whatever you want. No, right. That kind of thing. Right. Y- you know, but just having a dad who said, "Hey, I'm your dad, right. and I love you. Right. And you know, you are my son. And I'm sorry for what I did in the past. Uh, boy, those words, even just me saying those coming out of my mouth now, mm-hmm. they mean something. Right. You know, I can think back and go, man, those things were lifesavers. Right. You know, and there's so many good things you just said there that I, I want to hone in on. Yeah. When it comes to fatherhood. Um, the first thing that you said is the idea of affirmation, like being present and affirming. Uh, Jordan Peterson, who's a, a Canadian psychologist, he says that one of the main roles that fathers have that's unique to the mother is mothers are very good because they're natural maternal and nurturing instincts of affirming children exactly as they are. But the problem is that could be so extreme sometimes that it becomes enabling where it really is like, I'm going to, I'm going to love you and support you no matter what you do, (laughs) even if it is bad stuff. What dads are really good at is they're good at affirming a kid where they are not as good as the mom, but they are good at it, but they're also good at pushing a child to their potential. So in other words, giving the child the, the feeling of not only I'm accepted, but I could be better, right? I could do more than what I'm currently doing. My life could be different than what it is right now. Uh, do, do you see any of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, early on, um, I saw it maybe in some sports when my dad was, you know, his alcoholism was going nuts, you know, but even there I saw him just so aloof and 
um, kind of becoming more detached mm. and more, you know, uh, you know, going down the addictive road where, you know, um, it, it became embarrassing sometimes to see him at the ball field and, um, you know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, you didn't have those moments with your dad, you know, you, you wouldn't, your dad wasn't really capable, um, you know, of any kind of direction, life direction. I don't remember anything really about my dad ever talking to me about life yeah. growing up. Yeah. You know, I don't remember any young conversations of him ever, um, you know, talking to me about things like that, you know, um, you know, uh, not at all. Um, you know, but as I got older and he sobered up and everything and, and I went and lived with my biological dad, um, who by this time was, was sober, you know, I certainly, um, had so many good talks with him and amazing dialogues. And they were all about, uh, very wisdom-like talks, you know, he, so he was always very, thoughtful to listen but he was always very good at pushing me mm. in directions uh to make me think mm. and i always found that fascinating and and it was good it was even on government things on yeah. healthcare issues yeah. and and how you know what is the ruling power like and why he didn't trust government right and why he didn't trust big corporations and why he was skeptical of things and he would talk about the inner issues of like um um uh he would say like the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil and he would talk about what that means you know and and he he wasn't a christian right you know but he would use these principles you know and and so it, it challenged me to think and that's something that um i don't remember my mom doing so much my mom had other beautiful attributes right. in her life but i certainly remember my dad you know, uh, when he sobered up, man, he was, he was a teacher, you yeah. know, it was awesome. Yeah. And, you know, and likewise with, with me and my dad, you know, he, he's very good. You know, men tend to have this, this quality is called disagreeableness where men are actually comfortable, not fully agreeing with someone else. Like we feel a comfortability there. Uh, women tend to want to agree about everything. They want to have like unity and harmony. They want to get along. Uh, men are okay saying like, hey, I don't see it your way and maybe even getting passionate about it and saying like, no, dude, you're wrong. You know, like getting into a little bit of a fight, but still respecting one another. Uh, women have a harder time with that. So, yeah, I, I remember that as a, as a kid, like my dad would always push my ideas, you know, like, why do you think that way? What is this? You know, and, and trying to help me think through some of my own my own worldviews and, and preconceived notions. Yeah. Yeah. Which is vital. You know, and, and, you know, that so many kids probably don't have that growing up right. in their teenage years. Right. And that's what I don't under, that's what I, um, you know, I go, wow, you know, um, I, I, I am fortunate that my dad sobered up and, the, and, and in most of my teenage years, I had a dad right. who was, who was there really present. Um, but, you know, we can't, we can't overlook that what we're seeing today in our world is just really the result of, in a sense, the reaping and sowing kind of principle, right? Right. You know, whatever a, a person sows, that he's going to reap. Right. And, you know, the nation, of course, collectively is going to reap, um, you know, the, the issues. And it's funny. It's like we tend to think that education is the answer. Right. You know, in this country, we tend to think like, hey, you know what? It, it doesn't matter what your background is. Yeah, if the, we, the state's your dad. That's right. You no, know, the school's your dad. That's right. If we you get know? you into the university, yeah. that's going to help you out. Right. But, you know, it seems like we, we always come out not balanced. Right. You know, we all still come out with all these different flaws, hmm. you know. And uh, But now we just have maybe a little more self-righteousness because we've graduated. Right. And we have a piece of paper. And we find that we've accomplished something, but it doesn't produce a good righteousness. It produces a self-righteousness. Yeah. And that, that happens in a lot of us too. Right. So next thing I wanted to, to, to point out is when you were talking about how your dad kind of challenged you, there's this, this interesting statistic uh, when it comes to like female police officers. And it's, I think it's really interesting. It's really fascinating. And it's also true for like moms who are alone, like single mothers where you actually find that female police officers use more lethal force than males do. 
And the reason is actually because of that size and physicality difference between them and criminals. And it, by the way, just so people know I'm not harping on women, this is also true for more like slender and slight male officers. But the idea is that if you don't have a naturally imposing presence, then people will take advantage of that, meaning people will naturally see that as weakness and they'll push you a little harder than they would someone who has a naturally imposing presence. Makes sense. And you have to respond with more aggression and it could actually turn violent sometimes. So a lot of kids who grew up in homes with single moms, especially like Latino families, where the mom is really the, the main person there, they might experience a lot of abuse. You know, I remember uh, talking to a lot of my buddies because at CDO, I went to Canyon del Oro and we're right in between, you know, like uh, the Oro Valley, like super white community of Tucson. But then on the other side is Oracle, which is like almost 100% Hispanic. And so our school was like this weird meld where it was 50% from Oracle and 50% from Oro Valley. Which is, yeah, a lot of schools, very diverse. Yeah, very diverse. And it was interesting, like, talking to some of these guys, you know, and even if the dad was in the home, the mom was still, like, the person. And they would talk to me about, you know, these big Latino women just, like, beating them and stuff, you know. It's not funny, but, yeah, they would, like, get hit really hard. And it's not really because these women were abusive, but it's because the, especially boys, they challenge their moms a little bit more. They feel like they could get away with more. Yeah. And the mom has to meet that with more aggression. Oh, yeah. I mean, anybody who's grew up in my era, we remember Eddie Murphy's famous delirious yeah. um, um, talks. Right. Or about the woman who uh, takes off her shoe and chucks it out of right. her kid. <laughs> right. You know? Right. And the benefit is is kind of interesting where the men, the, one of the reasons what they found that the father has in the household is he has a natural imposing presence, meaning he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to become violent to intimidate his children. Yeah, just his size alone. Right, his size, his demeanor, and just the general tone of voice. Yeah, tone of voice. Can like actually inspire a lot of respect in children without him having to try. Now, men who don't know that, meaning men who didn't receive that from their fathers, they tend to be more violent in the household. So what happens is, is when you grow up with a father who does that and does that well, then you realize like, oh, aggression doesn't necessarily have to become violent. Like I can be with my child, I could be, you know, intimidating to them without ever having to yell, to scream or to hit. You know, I could actually intimidate just with my presence. Yeah. And I with think just like my hands sometimes, you know, just grabbing them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was thinking like I was having a flashback of maybe one of Jordan Peterson's uh, videos of him talking about uh, the importance of, you know, rolling with your kids. Right, and, right. And wrestling. You're like with playing them. with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like play fighting with them. Right. You know, that, that you're the big guy. Right. You know, you're the dad. Right. But your kids are learning something about you. Right. You know, you're you're being aggressive, but they know you're not being too aggressive. Right. You know, and they see your temperance. Right. And that all plays a role into how they're perceiving things. Right. And that, that's actually a, a biblical virtue. We call it meekness, right? The ability to have power, but to not use it to dominate or subdue. And, you know, speaking of the patriarchy earlier on, a lot of people don't have dads like that, meaning they don't have dads who are in control of their anger. They have dads who are violent and dads who, who scream, who do scream, who do yell, who do hit, and they don't know how to hold back their strength towards their children. Or dads, like I said, who are the second type of patriarchs who just run away, don't, don't help out at all. But either way, the children aren't receiving that really vital lesson. Mm. So, you know, with my dad, even though he grew up in an abusive home and all that stuff, never hit us, never abused us, but there was a difference. I still have this really distinct memory as a kid where my mom, you know, and she's a tough lady, you know, she's Asian, she's tough. And I, I was being disrespectful as I usually was with my mom. And she started spanking me and being the little belligerent kid I was, I started laughing. <laughs> so she like, she got really upset, but I just like laughed and walked away. I just remember my dad coming in my room and I'm just like, oh gosh, like, Here it comes. I'm in it now. The you know? bomb is dropping. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, he doesn't, my dad didn't have to hit me hard. He didn't have to use his strength. No. But just my dad being there, his presence. Yeah. Just, just his the, grip alone. Just his grip. Like, and I was like, oh, I'm in it, you know? And it's, I couldn't get that from my mom. Yeah. And it's not that my mom's not a tough lady. 
It's just that she could never do that. Yeah. And if my mom didn't have my dad there, she probably would have had, with a kid like me especially, she would have probably had to resort to more violent measures to get my attention. Yeah, and it's almost like the issues that people talk about, whether it's, um, you know, police brutality, quote, issues, or whatever issues that they're saying, you know, the CRT issues of today, of critical race theory and all this, it really all goes back to, you know, a lot of times of just how uh, dads, Mm. you know, about dads, you know, why aren't dads there? Right. Um, you know, and it comes back to a lot of us, to our, to a lot of us people thinking about these issues, you know, it comes back to our quote, maybe the way we look at sexuality. Right. And maybe we, the way we really think through this. Right. You know, do we really think sexual autonomy, um, is good? It's the greatest good. Yeah. It's the greatest good. Yeah. And, and again, if. And, and the, the scary thing is if you if you say, well, no, I don't think sexual autonomy is the greatest good, and let's move away from sexual autonomy, the problem is, is if you do not have a system of God regulating any sexuality, right. then you force the hand of government to regulate people's sexuality. That's right. And then now we start getting into brave new world. That's right. You know, now we start getting into a world where, yeah, we'll get rid of abortions. Right. Yeah, you want you want to get rid of abortions now? We'll get rid of them right now. Right. You know, but this is the system we're going to set up. Right. You know, how about every pregnancy is going to be artificially inseminated? Right. How about every person is going to be, um, let's say, um, you know, somehow doctored up, or you know, we're going to, you know, put a, a shot in you that affects your, whether you're sterile or not. Or the only way you can be sterile is for a period of time to, um, you know, go into a clinic Mm. and, you know, put something into a jar. Right. And then you will get a shot where you become, you know, sterile, Mm. you know, again. Um, You know, that way anybody who is pregnant is pregnant by full-blown volition wanting to have the pregnancy, you know, under a doctor's care under a clinic's care, under an industry's care. You can see where this is going. Right. A giant right. giant capitalism meets government equal fun uh, totalitarian, um, you know, um, dystopian um, world. And it, it is interesting when you see these totalitarian regimes, whether it's, you know, with Hitler and the Nazis or with Lenin or Stalin or Mao, Uh, or even some of the more ancient ones with the pharaohs of Egypt and things like that, there's a weird, perverse thing where the king, like the monarch, becomes like the father, you know? Where people see him, like when you see people talk about Mao, it's like they see them as like the father. Yeah, they want to get their picture taken with them. Right. It's like very family-oriented feeling it's stuff. really weird it's really bizarre where people don't do that with joe biden you know like no no one, no, no. No. It's, no one's like oh like joe biden's like my dad you know like <laughs> right. that's, that's, no one thinks that way you know uh, you know and even if it, it wasn't it, it, trump maybe yeah it was trump, even with trump it wasn't gonna be like yeah that, trump you know? ain't your dad yeah he's not your dad he's your politician he's your crazy uncle yeah and like <laughs> yeah uh one of these political commentators he made a, a funny comment he's like if you're looking to your politicians for empathy that tells me a lot about your home life you know meaning if your politicians are not your friend they're not your family members they are a disinterested third party who is out for their own political self-interest and so if you don't have that kind of empathy and stuff at home and you are starting to look at the government and the state and the institutions of the state as being like your surrogate father that says a lot about where you're coming from like that that's where you're getting that stability yeah. And it's a very scary way that our culture's going. And like you said, with the Brave New World, that's how it was. You didn't have a mother or father. You were grown in a lab. You were just put out. And the state was your parent. You know, the state taught you. And uh, it, there's an even scarier way that that could go, though. Um, you know, Denzel Washington, who I love Denzel Washington. He's an awesome actor. I could pretty much watch any movie that has Denzel in it. He's probably one of my favorite actors out there. Uh, he was asked about his success in his career. And you could tell the people who are questioning him, they're like white liberals, and they're like, oh, you know, how how difficult was it for you to like make it in this white-dominated culture and stuff like that? And he's just like, 
not really that hard. And they're like, really? He's like, well, I mean, obviously I got to work hard. I'm, I'm, I put a lot of effort into what I do. You know, I take it very seriously, but he's like, but I had a, I had a dad, you know, I had a father at home and I don't really see being black as being something that disadvantages me. But there's a lot of my friends who are disadvantaged because they don't have a dad. And he said something really profound. He said, if you don't have a dad in the home, you will find your father on the streets. So in other words, a lot of these kids, the reason why they go into gangs so young sure, uh, or into to crews or whatever is because they don't have that strong male figure at home. And so they find one at the playground yep. in the, you know, whatever on the streets, you know, find that, that teenager who's more mature than them, who they're like, whoa, like, and they look up to them yeah, and that becomes their world. Yeah. And every crew has a, a, a even a, your elementary, right. you know, little rascals crew right. <laughs> has, has the top person, right? The alpha, you know, <laughs> has the alpha that we're all looking at and we're all, you know, that's the one who can get us in. Yeah. So, you know, abortion is one of those issue, issues that it brings up so many things, right? So many, so many, uh, topics to touch on and right. this podcast we certainly have touched on so many different avenues and and that's you know? the way we want people to think you know like i think a lot of christians they stop at the morality of an issue and they don't go beyond you know and it's not that morality is a bad thing to talk about it's good to talk about is abortion moral is sex before marriage moral is you know uh, homosexuality moral like it's good to talk about those things in relation to the bible but if you don't push it a little bit and say like, okay, it's a moral great, but what are the underlying societal issues that are pushing us towards these decisions? What are the effects and repercussions of those things? Yeah. And how can we live in a society that promotes stuff like this? Because even if we choose not to live in it, that doesn't mean people around us aren't. And it doesn't mean we're not going to make moral mistakes within all these categories and errors. You know, So you, you could be a Christian and totally agree that abortion is morally bad, but you may have had an abortion. Or you might be considering one right now because you've made a mistake in your life. You've made a, a terrible error and you're starting to see the consequences that might occur for you to have to take care of your child, whether you're a man or a woman. Yeah. And even though you know morally I should do this, you don't know how practically to not do it. To say like, you know, I'm going to suffer because First Peter 4, I'm going to arm myself with the same mindset that was in Christ. For he who has suffered in the flesh has abstained from sin. You know, Jesus, when he looked at the cross, he was he was realistic. This is suffering. This is sacrifice. Mm. But it's sacrifice with a purpose. And that's what parenting is. Parenting is an imitation of Christ. Yeah. Because we are dying to self. We are dying to our dreams, our hopes, our ambitions. We're shaping them now in relation to our children. Yeah, which grows love, actually. Right. Uh, love can't grow unless you go this route. Route. I want to mention, too, that I always bring up or I like to bring up um, a writing that I did called The Ethic of Imitation and Future Benefit, hmm. uh, because I really think every time I, I keep have just been sitting on this and I've been sitting on this book now for like five years <laughs> on publishing this thing, just yeah. sitting on the thoughts. But I keep going back to this section on the ethic of imitation and future benefit hmm. um, to uh, as really a way to see if our morality is good or not. Right. Is, is it something to be imitated? Is there a future benefit to it? Right. What if everybody imitated you? Right. You know, um, what if everybody got abortions? Right. What if everybody, every baby was aborted? Hmm. You know, um, and I think those are good ways to measure whether something's really right or wrong. Right. Because if your morality hinges on people doing something different than you for society to succeed, it should tell you something about your morality. Right, right, right. It should, there should be something, that kind of idea well within the conversation of whether something's good morally in the society or whether it's bad. Right. So like take the, take the thief, for instance. The thief can only steal equity and capital that's already in existence. Meaning if everybody was a thief, there would be nothing to steal. Right. <laughs> right? Because there would be nothing produced. That's right. So the thief... The thief's livelihood is it's dependent, contingent. Yeah. it's contingent on people not behaving like them. And the same thing is true with the, the person who's like, well, I don't want responsibility for children, so I'm not going to have kids and I'm not going to do this. Your lifestyle is contingent on people not making that same decision. Right. Yeah. And this is that's an interesting thing. Right. And so that's why I wrote that. Anyway, the ethic of imitation and future benefit. Man. Yeah, that's right. I think it's on my Bean podcast, just the audio of it. Yeah, I just put it up there. Anyway, you guys have a great one. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.
Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.